I'd like to begin with a question. What, what is the word epitaph? What does epitaph mean? What is an epitaph? Trevor? An after-death tribute. An after-death tribute, yes. A, a tribute, a, a form of words written um, in memory of a person who has died. Usually, an epitaph is written on a tombstone. And when it comes to epitaphs, you have all kinds. You have the good, the bad, and the ugly. I uh, googled some uh, epitaph. Uh, just try to find uh, some examples and there was one epitaph that just said ha 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 now, I don't know whether that was just a photoshop or what but sad isn't it ha 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 Mel Blank who's an American uh, voice artist his epitaph reads that's all folks There are also many epitaphs that have been found in ancient um, Greece or Rome. Uh, archaeologists have unearthed epitaphs with one word. And this one word, either in the Greek or in the Latin, says no hope. No hope. Imagine going on in your life and living with no hope. What do you think the epitaph of Enoch would have said? He walked with God. That's right. Walked with God. How about the epitaph of Abraham? What would Abraham's epitaph say? Yes. Maybe he was a follower of God. He was a follower of God. Yes, I agree. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. How about you? What would your... Epitaphs say, what, what, what will people rem- remember you uh, for? I wonder if you are trusting in God's promises. And, and, and if you are trusting in God's promises, does that show in your life? H- how is the life of believers a reflection of the trust in God? H- how does it show? How should we live as believers in Jesus Christ? Well, My dear brothers and sisters, we will consider that in in this passage we have before us from Genesis chapter 24 and the beginning of chapter 25. So if you have a copy of God's word, open your Bibles to Genesis 24 and we will begin to read uh, most of the chapter. And we'll just consider a few verses from chapter 25 also. And we will see that mature believers live their lives in light of God's promises. Mature believers live their lives in light of God's promises. Genesis 24. And we will read through that chapter. I'll I'll take it in small chunks as we go through this message But we'll see this truth reflected in the life, not only of Abraham, but in the life of his servant and in the life of Rebekah. Three people. Abraham, Rebekah, and his servant. And we'll consider this 
uh, one main message in two words. Uh, one word will be helping, the second word praying. Helping, praying. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, praying that as we consider your word from Genesis 24, that you may speak to us, Lord, that we may be a people that are hoping that we may be a people that remain praying. And Lord, that you may transform us as we consider your word, as we look at the example of Abraham and his household, and as we, O oh Lord, consider our own lives in light of your word, like a mirror shining and a reflection of who we are. And that, Lord, by the power of your spirit, we may be changed. Lord, I pray, change me, change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, now we come to an end of Abraham's life. This is it. This is the, the conclusion or the end, the epilogue, we could say, of Abraham's life. But before we look at his uh, death and and burial, which appear in the first paragraph of chapter 25, we will consider the words that have been recorded for us to, to, to read. Now, even though these are the very last words recorded in the Bible about Abraham, he still went on to live for a good 30 odd years, 30 or 35 years on. But these are the last words recorded and they're recorded for a purpose. And so we shall Consider these words. They are important. They tell us something about the man, Abraham. Abraham is a man resting in God's promises. Abraham hopes in God. Abraham began his journey many years back. In Genesis chapter 12, we saw how God called him. He was a pagan. And God calls Abraham. And right at the beginning of his life, we see Abraham as a very immature man who believed, yet he was still immature in his life. We see an, an Abraham which is weak and toddling as a believer. He's tripping and, and stumbling along the way. But here in chapter 25, like in 24, in 23 and 22, we find a mature Abraham, a man who was strong in his faith, a man who believed. And here he ends his earthly journey as this mature man of faith. He's an old man now, but he's confident in God's promises, a man who's resting in God's providence. And we will consider what the word providence means in just a moment. A man who delights in the Lord of the heavens. In fact, that phrase, the Lord of the heavens, appears twice in this passage when Abraham is referring to God. Abraham is a man who is certain. He is confident. He is hopeful. He is sure. He is expectant. He is assured that God will keep his promises because he's done it before and he will do it again, not only for him, but for the multitude that will follow after him. God promised that his descendants will be like the stars in the heavens. And he believed God. 
And even though his wife was very old in age, she eventually gave birth to the son. And Abraham knew that God keeps his promises. And no, the multitude of people of the promise will not come through Keturah. Keturah was his new wife. You see, Abraham's wife died, Sarah, and he remarried. The Bible is okay with remarriage once the marriage covenant is is gone through death. God hates divorce, but remarriage after one spouse's death is is right. And so he remarried. Nevertheless, his sons with Keturah were not the sons of the promise. And like with Ishmael, we read that Abraham sent them away. Look at there in chapter 25, just very briefly, verses six. So verse five, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. The multitude will come through Isaac, but there is a problem. Isaac is not married yet. In fact, Isaac is roughly about 40 years of age at this point. So if you're in your 40s and still not married, there's still hope. And so Isaac was still not married, didn't have any children. But he was the son of the promise. Even though there, there, there's no... Um, women in the camp that would be suitable for him. Abraham goes and sends his servant to go and bring a wife from his household. He he didn't say, go Isaac and go and live away from the promised land. Why? Because this was the promised land. And so he goes to send the, the servant in order for the servant to bring the wife to the promised land rather than going away and living over there in the promised land. It is not an option. Going going away from the promised land is not an option. Why? Because Abraham knew that the Lord who promised will keep his promise even up to this point. So Abraham in his old age goes and sends his servant. And we, we find the record of that from verse 1 onwards. Chapter 24, verse 1. I'll begin reading. Now, Abraham was old. Well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said to his servants, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh. This was an ancient practice of like saying, promise that you will do it. Like put your hand on your heart. Verse three, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife of my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. 
he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. And he repeats that again. It's not an option. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. My brothers and sisters, mature believers set their mind on God's promises. And the alternative is not an option. Believers set their minds on what God commands and what God has promised. And the alternative is not an option. For Abraham, there were no alternatives. He is not going back to Canaan to find a wife. He is not sending his son back. He is not intermarrying his son with a foreign woman in the land. For Abraham, God's promises are sufficient. His mind is set on them. And nothing else matters. Nothing else will sway him. But is that how we are as believers? You see, Abraham is a mature believer at this stage. But but is that how we also respond? Do we think of God's promises as yea and amen? Or do we wobble? From one mindset to another, like the book of James reminds us, like the waves of the sea. Today we say yay and tomorrow we're wavering and and, and wobbling. If you're honest and if you are like me, we're so easily swayed by the things of this world, aren't we? For Abraham, God's promises are sufficient But we're so easily swayed by our dreams and desires, the things that we really want here on this earth, rather than inquiring of the Lord. We just follow our hearts and do what we want. For Abraham, God's promises are sufficient, but we very quickly spend our life pursuing the earthly things of this world, whether riches or whether status or whether influence. The the book of James reminds us in James 4, why are there wars among you? He's talking to a church. Why are you fighting among yourselves? Why are you bickering one against the other? He says, says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you do not obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask And you do not receive. Why do you not receive? Because you ask wrongly to spend in your passions, selfish prayers, selfish desires. And then he adds, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. But for Abraham, God's promises are sufficient. But what do we do? We go on living a life as if there is no God. We, we become what, what, what someone said, like practical atheists. So we say, yes, I believe in the Lord and I believe in his word. But then we go on living our life as if God didn't exist. For example, we plan the tomorrow and we plan ahead. We, we make an investment and we never even consulted God. 
James reminds us of that as well in chapter 4 of James. He says, come now you who say today and tomorrow I will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, he says. What is your life? For you are like a myth that appears one time and then it vanishes. Instead, James says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, tomorrow will do this or that. But if the Lord wills is not just a tag that you just add to the phrase that you talk so that you cover yourself. No, it, it, it means something. If God wills, that means you consult the Lord before making a big decision. You, you go to the Lord in prayer. You, you, you seek his word. And that was Abraham. He was a man who was mature in his faith. He was a man who had learned the hard way. And sometimes we ought to live the hard way. You see, my brothers and sisters, mature believers set their mind on God's promises. And the alternative is not an option. Hoping is what Abraham did. Hoping is how we should live. Hoping. 1 Peter chapter 1 reminds us, set your minds on the things that are above. Set your mind on that which is to come. Heaven which will be here on earth. We ought to set our mind on that goal. 1 Peter reminds us. He says, gird up the loins of your mind, doesn't he? Put your mind into action. It's like lift your sleeves up and act according to that hope you have. But you see, a mature believer not only sets his mind in God's promises, rejecting the alternative, hoping, but a mature believer also prays for God's promises to be fulfilled. And this is where praying comes. Praying. I find it fascinating to read that the very first thing after the servant of Abraham did as he went and settled, the very first thing he did was to pray. Mature believers pray. For God's purposes to be fulfilled. Look at there in verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of, the, of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said... Oh, Lord, he prays, God of my master, Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love. That word, steadfast love to my master, Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water as if God didn't know, but he's praying. And the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. As if God doesn't know. He knows. And he's there praying. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for my servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love. That word again, steadfast love 
to my master. This passage is so enlightening because this believer, the servant, prayed to God. What do we do when we need counsel? Well, we go to our good old friend Google, don't we? We're so quick to jump to, Travis says, no, I ain't got a computer. Well, for those who haven't got a computer, you might find some other friend, but... Those, those of us who have gadgets, it's so tempting to just grab your phone out and, and, and Google a question when one has something in mind, wants, wants an advice. We speak to someone or phone a friend. We treat life as the, uh, you want to be a millionaire is called, that program, where you want to phone a friend. And so we, we quickly, we're quick to phone someone. But how many times do we stop and pray? Now, there's nothing wrong with seeking counsel. On the contrary, it is wise to seek wise counsel. But how many times do we stop and pray? And when we pray, as Jim says, we sometimes pray with selfish motives. And why are our prayers not answered? Because we pray according to what we want rather than what God says. We, we, we have us in the centre rather than God. And how are we going to know who God is like and what God is like through his word? We have a, a different mentality of who God is. In the market in Snodland, when we were at the table with literature, a, a man passed by and he just, he just saw us and he just said, oh, if God really existed, and he was walking by, if God really existed, I wouldn't have a, a pain on my arm, he said. And I said, well, don't go, come back. And he came back. Why should God heal your arm or your shoulder? Oh, because if God is blah, 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 good and so on. I said, but you're treating God as if you were a good luck charm. You're treating God as if you were God and he ought to bow before you and serve you. But no, he is the Lord God. He is God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. But we sometimes treat God like that. We pray with selfish motives. When we're in need, we must stop and we must pray. When we need guidance, we must stop and we must pray. When we're in trouble, we must pray to God. When we're being tempted, we must not sleep, but we must pray. When we are thankful to God, we must pray. What a testimony to our family, to our children, if they see their father or their mother praying to God when trouble strikes. What a wonderful testimony. The children would see a father or a mother full of faith. When I went to London to Bunghill Fields, I saw many graves of believers in Jesus Christ who died over the ages. And one of the graves there was the grave of Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was a godly woman. She was the mother of Charles Wesley and also John Wesley. She was a woman of prayer. She had lots of children. And sometimes when you have lots of children, you have perhaps not time to pray. If you're homeschooling or teaching and doing here and there and doing so many things. But, but she had time to pray. You know how she would pray? She would get her skirt and she would put it over her head. And her children knew that when mama had her skirt over her head, 
She was praying. She mustn't be disturbed. And she would pray. And she would pray. And the two godly children that the Lord gave her, who saw and witnessed the testimony of a mother who prayed. What a testimony. Do our children see us praying to God? Or do they see us worried and fretting and anxious and angry and grumbling? Well, what testimony would we set to them and an example for them to follow if they see us trusting God in prayer? When tragedy strikes, let us pray to the Lord of heaven. and Let us kneel now and say, Lord, you be my helper and then act and then deal with the problem and then seek counsel and then seek advice. Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he? Even Jesus, the God man, he prayed to the father before appointing the 12 disciples. He went and spent the whole night in prayer. Many times after a long day, he would be praying. In the morning, very earlier on, he he would be praying. They couldn't find you. Where's Jesus? Where is he gone? We need him to go to the other town. He was praying. What a wonderful example. What a wonderful testimony for us as fathers, for us to follow as men who love the Lord, who love his word. And well, it so just happened that as the servant was praying, look at verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. I, I love the way he puts it here. As if he's, he's just like, just, gee, so it just happened that th- this came along. And verse 16, the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a, a maiden whom no man had known or was a virgin. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Verse 17, then the servant ran to meet her and said, pay attention to that word run. That will appear a few times more. He ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also. It so just happened. Until they had finished drinking, verse 20. So she quickly emptied the jar into the throw and run. That word again, run to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. Verse 21, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets with her arms weighed 10 gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? Verse 24, she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah. Now, if if you look at this genealogy, part of the genealogy is repeated in chapter 22 at the end. It's linking these two stories to show that she is indeed the one. Verse 24, again, whom she bore to Nahor. She asked, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. 
And what is the first thing the servant does as soon as she discloses who he is? He publishes it on Facebook? No. He sends a WhatsApp message to Abraham to let him know that he's finally found her? No. Does he throw a party to say, yeah, we've got her? No. He bows down and worships. He bows down and prays. Look at there, verse 26. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love, that word again, and his steadfastness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of a master's kinsman. <coughs> Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, Of all the blessings of Christian salvation, none is greater than this, that we have access to God in prayer. Hasn't it happened to you that you've prayed for something and that you pray hard for days, maybe weeks, and then suddenly the answer to the prayer comes and we very quickly forget to come before the Lord in prayer and give thanks. It has happened to me in the past. But here the servant sets for us a wonderful example of a man of prayer. This passage shows us God's providence in action. Providence. Does anyone remember what the word providence means? What is providence? It's a big word. Providence. Pardon? Providing. It has to do with providing, yes. Providence. It's not provision, but providence is... God's working in history through the actions of people. God working behind the scenes in the events of history. In other words, is God's holy, wise and powerful preserving of creatures and actions. When people act, when people do things, whether good or evil, God uses that in his purposes as a powerful act of providences uh, of providence and abraham knows that god in his providence will provide a wife and so he sent his servant the servant runs and prays as he sees her after praying he runs to her after he so just happened that rebecca was there here we have an example of man's actions meeting god's purposes or better said we see an example of man's actions flowing from the purposes of God. The same God who act his purposes through Pharaoh is the same God who act his purposes through Herod and Pontius Pilate and is the same God who was acting his purposes through the faithful act of believers here. And what happens next? Look at verse 28. Then the young woman ran once again. Ran and told the mother's household about these things. Verse 29. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran. He ran out towards the man to the spring. And then verse 30 tells us the reason why he ran. As soon as he was, he saw the ring on the bracelet and the bracelet on his sister's arm. He heard the words of Rebecca, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. 
Some commentators believe that his motives were purely selfish, purely greed motives. And we see the life of Laban later in chapter 29 and onwards, how he was a man who was greedy. He is running. What a contrast between those running to do good and him running to see what's going on with other motives. Verse 31, he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and and harnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. Now from verse 34 to verse 49, we have the longest speech recorded in the book of Genesis. And the longest speech is by this servant who is recalling what has happened from verse 34 to 49. He recalls of God's steadfast love. He recalls how God answered prayer. He recalls and tells him what he was doing there. And he speaks to them. And this is their response. Verse 50. Then Laban, which is the brother, and Bethuel, his, her father, answered and said, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak bad or good. Verse 51, behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. God had answered prayer. And what is the very first thing that the servant does? He publishes it on Facebook? No. Does he send the WhatsApp message? No. Does he throw a party? Look at there, verse 52. When Abraham's servant heard the words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. That's what we all believers should do pray at all times when answered prayer pray without ceasing so I was talking with Raquel and reading this passage this is what she said how we have lost all that how that sense of all before God even in answered prayer something are missing in the life of believers today. Verse 53. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and, her, and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and he spent the night there. When he arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Now notice who speaks now. Verse 55. Her brother and her mother said, look what the mother says, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, we may go. All mothers would want to spend a little longer with their daughter before she parts. Verse 56, but he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. 
Then she said, sorry, they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, oh, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. God takes Abraham out of his homeland and says, go to the promised land. Abraham says to the servant, go to the my previous land and take for my son a wife. He goes and takes and now they say to her, will you go? And she says, I will go. She is a mini Abraham. She's doing what Abraham did. She obeyed the Lord's command. She believed the Lord and said, I will Go. She didn't put her feelings or emotions on the way. Rather, she trusted God's promises. Brothers and sisters, we ought to never let our feelings lead our lives. Never should let our feelings. Now, husbands and wives, we're so different. Men, we, we think different. We act different. We, we, we do things different. Women tend to be more emotionally led. Husbands, we need to lead our wives and and teach our wives to to, to not be led by emotion, but to trust God's promises. Now, we're all so different and there's exceptions. Husbands, we ought to teach our daughters not to be led by emotion. It is our responsibility to guard their hearts, especially while they're young. My daughter saw a young boy at the conference last year. I I, I stepped in very quickly to guard her heart. These things will happen, but she's not ready. And she understood. Being young, we can be led by emotions. What happens today? We, we, We have a society where where young little girls just go from place to place, from home to home, from bed to bed. Where's the father? To guard and to, to protect these little daughters' emotions. We, we, we ought to take that responsibility. And so here she is, not led by feelings or led by emotions. She says, I will go. And she trusts in God's promises rather than being led by emotion. Rebecca is a vivid picture of Abraham going to a promised land to a people she doesn't know, fulfilling God's promises for his glory. Look at verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Laharoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to med- meditate in the field towards the evening. This is the sun. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were the camels coming. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah 
and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. She left the home to follow God's promise. How hard, but she trusted God's promise. Hoping, praying, hoping, praying. This passage is about God's people living in light of God's promises. God's people walking in hope and God's people walking in prayer. God's people resting in God's providence as God accomplishes his purposes through them, through human actions. While Abraham sends, the servant goes but prays, takes, Rebecca goes in response to God's promise. Now is your turn and my turn. Hope. Pray. As we go in live, let's walk in hope. Let's walk in prayer. But the only way in which we are able to indeed live in hope and live in prayer is by being filled with God's word. Because here in God's word, we have his promises. What happens when we are living in light of God's promises, that suddenly the things of this world grow strangely dim. We no longer think according to how the world thinks. We now, we now think the way God wants us to think. If we saturate our mind every day with God's word, it will happen that a decision will come and you will seek God in prayer. So spend time in prayer. Spend time in his word every day. What we do at home, I spend my own time in devotion with the Lord. But I spend some time also with my wife. And we've got a devotional, that I, a subscription that I bought. And we read through this devotion. I read, take my turn, pass it on to her and she takes her turn. And then we discuss it. We talk about it. We read the scripture. There's several, several articles and you can do something like that. But as you marinate yourself in God's word, as you discuss the scriptures, as you pray together, you hope and pray. So be filled with God's word when your heart dreams want to follow earthly treasures. Be filled with God's word when your mind is filled with fears and woes. Be filled with God's word when you're ensnared and embattled by troubles. Be filled with his word when you feel embittered and tired because of sin. Brothers and sisters, mature believers live lives in light of God's promises. May we be like Abraham or his servant or like Rebecca, people who hope and people who pray. Amen.